Oh, to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. There are three degrees of faith. There is a faith which receives when, as empty-handed beggars, we come to Christ and accept Him as our Lord and Savior. John 1, verse 12. There is also a faith which reckons which counts upon God to fulfill His promises and undertake for us. Second Timothy 1 verse 12 There is also a faith which risks, which dares something for the Lord. This aspect of faith was exemplified by Moses when he ventured to confront the king of Egypt and make known Jehovah's demands. This daring of faith was manifested by David when he went forth to engage the mighty Goliath. We see it again in Elijah, when, single-handed, he encountered the host of Jezebel's false prophets on Carmel. We see it again when Daniel dared to be cast into the lion's den, rather than comply with the idolatrous edict of Babylon's king. We see it again and again in the journeys and ministry of the Apostle Paul, who flinched not before dangers of every imaginable order, that he might make known the unsearchable riches of Christ. And in each of the instances mentioned, we behold in the sequel how God honored those trusting and daring hearts. It is venturesome faith which he ever delights to reward. He himself bids us Come to the throne of grace with holy boldness, that we may find grace to help in time of need. Oh, how this rebukes our timidity and reserve! How few today are prepared to risk anything in the service of our Lord! How little of the courage and daring of our fathers is now in evidence! What a lot of trembling and fearful soldiers are found today in the army of Christ! Oh, how urgent is the need for some spirit-filled man of faith to go forth and cry in the language of Carey, ask great things of God, expect great things from God, undertake great things for God. End of quote. It is well to look before we leap, but many look so long that they never leap at all. 2. The obedience of their faith. This appears from a reading of Joshua 6, 3 and 4, and 6 to 8. All concerned carried out the Lord's instructions to the latter, to do nothing more than walk and walk and walk around the walls of Jericho must have appeared a childish and ridiculous thing. Yet the believing remnant complied with the Lord's command. God promised to deliver Jericho into their hands. Joshua and his believing fellows rested on his word and carried out his orders. The Lord requires us to use whatever means he prescribes, no matter how unlikely and inadequate they may seem to us. It is true that divine power overthrew Jericho's walls, yet it was also by faith's obedience they fell. God had made it known that the manifestation of His power should be via a particular way. 
It was inseparably connected with certain actions which were to be performed by his people. How was Israel to capture that mighty fortress of the Canaanites? Conquer their condition? For centuries they had been a nation of slaves. For the last forty years they had been weary wanderers in the wilderness, and now their great leader Moses was dead. They were without any military experience, devoid of artillery, and had no trained army. All true, but they were not left to themselves. The living God was for them, and so long as they responded to His revealed will, all went well with them. In like manner, God has not left us to our own devising, but has given us plain and full directions and He requires us to do the work which He has appointed us in the way He has commanded. Implicit obedience to His orders is absolutely essential if we are to have His blessing. Implicit obedience unto the known will of God marked all Israel's arrangements for the siege of Jericho. Minute instructions were given them for their strange campaign. They were to march in a certain order, each being required to take the place assigned to. They were to march at a specific hour and encompass the city a given number of times. At the command of the Lord they were to be silent, and at the command of the Lord they were to shout. There was no room for human scheming, no place for carnal planning, no need for human reasoning as to what should be done. Everything was prescribed for them, and faith's obedience was all that was required from them. The orders which God gave to Joshua might have seemed unreasonable and absurd to his men, yet they must be faithfully executed if victory was to be theirs. And as it was then, so it is still. But oh, how slow we are to learn this lesson. Reader, the commands and precepts of God often appear strange unto carnal wisdom. How absurd did God's orders appear to the great Naaman when he was bidden to bathe his leprous body in the Jordan. How contrary to all human ideas was it for God to send the prophet Elijah to be fed for many months by a widow who had naught but a handful of meal and a little oil. How unreasonable it must have seemed to the twelve apostles when Christ bade them tell the great multitude to sit down and only five small loaves and two little fishes were in sight. And how unreasonable does it appear unto multitudes of professing Christians today when they are told to cast away all the worldly devices which have been brought into the churches and substitute fasting and prayer? How slow we are to recognize that it is the obedience of faith which God requires. 3. The Discipline of Their Faith and Joshua had commanded the people, saying, Ye shall not shout, nor make any noise with your voice, neither shall any word proceed out of your mouth, until the day I bid you shout, 
Then shall ye shout. Joshua 6.10 Their silence at the beginning was as necessary as their shouting at the finish. Why? These men were the immediate descendants of the greatest grumblers who ever lived. Their fathers complained and murmured until God swore in His wrath they should not enter into His rest. How much mischief had been caused if every man had been left free to express his opinion. How many would have been ready to advise Joshua what method of strategy to employ? One would have reasoned that the only way to capture Jericho was by starving out its inhabitants through a protracted siege. Another would have suggested the use of ladders to scale its walls. Another would have advocated heavy battering rams to force a way in. Another would have suggested tunneling under the walls. One and all would have ridiculed the plan which Joshua adopted. Ah, my readers, if the Jerichos which now confront the people of God are to be captured, then not only must the mouths of murmurers be stopped, but all leaning unto our own understanding must be abandoned. Oh, how often are the sinews of faith cut by the injudicious and unfriendly criticisms of those who pose as our Christian friends. How often is the man of God hindered by the Christ-dishonoring doubts and carnal suggestions of his fellows. A brother in the Lord who had been without employment recently wrote us that he had been rebuked for not making known his needs to his friends. Ah, let us not forget that the very first line which the Holy Spirit gives us in his picture of the blessed man is that he walked not in the counsel of the ungodly. Psalm 1 verse 1 How much mischief is wrought by people perpetually talking of the difficulties in the task confronting us. All real Christian work is beset with difficulties. Satan sees to that. The soldiers of Christ must be trained. Faith must be disciplined. Each one in the ranks of the Lord's hosts must learn there is a time to keep silence and a time to speak. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 7 The children of Israel were not ordered to go forth in battle array and make any sally upon this garrison of the Canaanites. Instead, in solemn silence, in sacred procession, they were to encompass the city. This was a great trial of faith, for such a procedure seemed very unlikely to accomplish the desired end. Not only so, but it would expose them to the contempt of their enemies, who must have sneered at their harmless procession. Yet this was the way which God had ordered. He loves to do great things by contemptible means, that the glory may be His. For the patience of their faith. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down, after they were compassed about seven days. Hebrews 11.30 They did not fall the first day that Israel marched around them, nor the second, nor the third. 
No, it was not until they had journeyed about them thirteen times that the power of God was displayed. And why? To test their patience as well as their faith and obedience, to prove whether they really believed the Lord's promise or no, when He enjoined the use of such weak and unlikely means, and to give them a more distinct apprehension that the conquest of Canaan was the Lord's and not theirs. When nothing happened the first twelve times Israel encompassed Jericho, it became the more evident that their enemies would not be overcome by the power of man, but by God. Not only the mercy, but the timing of it is in the hands of God, and therefore we are bidden, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Psalm 37, verse 7. Alas, how sadly do we fail at this point. How easily we become discouraged if our Jericho does not fall the first or second time we encompass it. The vision is yet for an appointed time. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come. Habakkuk 2 verse 3 But oh, how impatient is the flesh! It was at this point that Abraham failed. When Sarah bare not the promised son, he determined to have one by Hagar. It was at this point Moses first failed, taking things into his own hands, Exodus 2, 11 and 12, instead of waiting God's time. Tarry ye at Jerusalem was the last word which the Redeemer gave unto the apostles before he ascended. Men are always to pray and not to faint, Luke 18, 1. How much we need to take this word to heart. How often we have fainted when victory was almost in sight. Uh, we thought that the walls of our Jericho would never fall, but they did at the appointed time. God is in no hurry, and it is required of us that he that believeth shall not make haste. Isaiah 28:16. But we find it much harder to wait than we do to believe. That is probably the weakest spot in our armor and the point at which we fail most frequently. Then let us be more definite and earnest in begging the Holy Spirit to work in us the spiritual grace of patience. Let us seek grace to lay hold of that word, let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Galatians 6, verse 9. 5. The anticipation of their faith. So the people shouted when the priests blew with the trumpets, and it came to pass when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, and the people shouted with a great shout, that the wall fell down flat, so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. Joshua 6, verse 20. What we would now particularly observe is that the people shouted before the walls fell down. It was faith expecting the victory. What things soever ye desire when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. Mark 11, 24. 
It reminds us of the missionary Moffat, who labored for years among the Bekawanas and saw not a single seal to his ministry. Some of his far distant friends in England wrote him, saying they wished to make a present and asked him to specify what it should be. He answered, a communion set. Months after, when it arrived, more than a dozen converted natives sat down with him to remember the Lord's death. Now, the whole of Joshua 6 has been recorded for our learning. Again, Adolf Sapphire wrote, The walls of unbelief, superstition, and ungodliness yield to no earthly armor and power. It is not by compulsion nor by reasoning, it is not by weapons which this world supplies that these walls can be destroyed. It is by the word of God and by the word declared in faith. Ministers and people, they who blow the trumpet and also the people who are with them, are to be united together in the power of God. Unquote. Each of us is confronted with a Jericho, whether it be the preacher in the field of service where God calls him to labor, the Sunday school teacher in the class before her, or the individual Christian who is seeking to overcome some habit or disposition. Remember Joshua and take courage. If there be the daring, the discipline, the obedience, the patience, and the expectation of faith, the victory is sure in God's appointed time. Once more we have been shown the wondrous power of real faith to bring to pass that which is beyond mere nature. Compare Matthew 17:20, 20, 1 John 5, verse 4. Persevering trust and obedience enabled Israel to accomplish what had otherwise been impossible. Again, we have seen that faith in God's promise of protection and the use of His appointed means far surpasses all worldly methods of defense. Compare Second Chronicles 20, verse 20. Contrarywise, we behold what a worthless thing it is to trust in outward and material things. The walls of Jericho were both strong and high, yet they afforded no security against God's power. Vain is the help of man. Though God required Israel to use the utmost of their courage, submission, and patience, yet he took it upon himself to bless their efforts and effect the work of power. Barriers more difficult than the walls of Jericho stand between the Christian and holiness. How are they to be removed? by faith's obedience. Compare Second Corinthians 10, verses 4 and 5. Chapter 22 The Faith of Rahab Hebrews 11, verse 31 The inestimable value of spiritual faith is strikingly demonstrated in the case we are about to consider. The Apostle had cited the faith of such illustrious characters as Enoch and Noah, Abraham and Moses. He had mentioned that of a believing company as they had passed through the Red Sea and had marched around Jericho, 
Now he gives an instance of one who had been a notorious sinner, as though to shame us if our faith falls short of hers who had formerly been a harlot. Having shown that the patriarchs who were so highly venerated by the Jews were honored by God solely on account of their faith and its fruits, we next behold how an alien woman belonging to an accursed race was because of her faith adopted into the Old Testament church. According to John Calvin, it hence follows that those who are most exalted are of no account before God unless they have faith, and that, on the other hand, those who are hardly allowed to place among the profane and the reprobate are by faith introduced into the company of angels. Unquote. Rahab was a Canaanite, and therefore, by nature, an alien from the commonwealth of Israel, and a stranger from the covenants of promise. In her conversion and admission into the Old Testament church, she was, in a peculiar manner, both a type and a pledge of the calling of the Gentiles and their reception into the church of Christ in New Testament times. Thus did coming events cast their shadows before them. In such cases as Rahab and Ruth, God gave early intimations that His redemptive purpose was not confined to a single people, but that it would reach out unto individuals among all nations. Their incorporation among the Hebrews was a plain foreshadowment of the wild olive tree being grafted in and being made a partaker of the root and fatness of the good olive tree. Romans 11, verse 17. The salvation of Rahab was a signal instance of the sovereignty of God. John Owen declared, She was not only a Gentile, but an Amorites of that race and seed, which in general was devoted unto utter destruction. She was therefore an instance of God's sovereignty in dispensing with his positive laws, as it seemed good unto him, for of his own mere pleasure he exempted her from the doom announced against all those of her original and traduction. End of quote. Being the supreme potentate, God is not bound by any law or consideration other than his own imperial will, and therefore does he have mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardens. Romans 9 verse 18 most blessedly do we also behold here the amazing grace of God. Not only did Rahab belong to a heathen race, but she was an abandoned profligate, a harlot, and singling her out to be the recipient of his saving favors. God indeed made it evident that he is no respecter of persons. By her own choice, she was given up to the vilest of sins, but by the divine choice she was predestinated to be delivered from that lust, which is the most effective in detaining persons under its power, washing her whiter than snow by the precious blood of Christ and giving her a place in his own family. It is in just such cases 
that the unmerited favor of God shines forth the more illustriously. There was nothing whatever in this poor fallen woman to commend her unto the favor of God, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Not only may we behold in Rahab's case the exercise of divine sovereignty and the manifestation of divine grace, but we may also pause and admire the wondrous working of God's power. This is best perceived as we take into careful consideration the almost unparalleled element which enters into her case. Here the Holy Spirit wrought entirely apart from the ordinary means of grace. There were no Sabbaths observed in Jericho. There were no scriptures available for reading. There were no prophets sounding forth messages from heaven. Nevertheless, Rahab was quickened into newness of life and brought into a saving knowledge of the true God. Let it be duly noted that this woman, who had previously wallowed in open sin, was regenerated and converted before the spies came to her house. Their visit simply afforded an opportunity for the avowal and public manifestation of her faith. Let us also contemplate the marvelous workings of divine providence on this occasion. As the two spies sent forth by Joshua to reconnoiter Jericho, do near that heathen stronghold, they had no idea that one of God's elect sojourned there, and, had they been aware of the fact, they had no means of knowing how to locate her in a city of such size. Admire and adore, then, the secret hand of God which directed them to the very house in which his child abode. The Lord knoweth them that are his, and in the cloudy and dark day he searches them out. The same God who sent Ananias to the street called straight to deliver Saul from blindness, guided the two spies unto the house of Rahab to deliver her from death. In like manner, wherever there is one or more of his elect amid the darkness of heathendom, he sends his word or his servants to enlighten and edify the same. But it is with the faith of Rahab we must be chiefly engaged on this occasion. It will be observed that she is mentioned in Hebrews 11 after the destruction of Jericho, though she received the spies in peace before that city was destroyed. The reason for this is because her preservation, which was the fruit of her faith, was after the host of Israel had encompassed that city seven days. In seeking to ponder what is recorded in Scripture concerning the faith of Rahab, we propose to look separately at the ground, the effect, the nature, the confession, the breadth, the imperfection, and the reward of the same. First, the ground of her faith. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, Romans 10.17. This does not mean that faith is originated by hearing the word of God any more than the shining of the sun imparts light unto the eye. No, 
faith is imparted by a sovereign act of the Spirit, and then it is instructed and nourished by the Word. In the prophetic song of Moses at the Red Sea it was declared, The people shall hear and be afraid. Sorrow shall take hold on the inhabitants of Palestine. Then the dukes of Edom shall be amazed. The mighty men of Moab, trembling, shall take hold upon them. All the inhabitants of Canaan shall melt away. Fear and dread shall fall upon them. By the greatness of thine arm they shall be as still as a stone till thy people pass over. O Lord, till the people pass over, which thou hast purchased. Exodus 15, verses 14 to 16. A striking fulfillment of this prediction is found in the words of Rahab to the two spies. I know that the Lord hath given you the land, and that your terror is fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when ye came out of Egypt, and what he did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. And as soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt, neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. Joshua 2 verses 9 to 11. This it is which explains the reference in Hebrews 11.31 unto the other inhabitants of Jericho who perished because they believed not. The knowledge which they had of God and His wondrous works through the reports which had reached their ears rendered them without excuse. What has just been before us affords an example of a most solemn fact which is oft repeated, how souls are affected by the truth and how quickly the impression made wear off. The inhabitants of Jericho were deeply stirred by the reports of God's judgments upon the wicked. They feared it was their turn next and their hearts melted within them. How then are we to explain the fact that they did not all of them immediately and earnestly cry unto God for mercy? We believe the answer is found in Ecclesiastes 8.11. Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. As the hosts of Israel encompassed Jericho each day and then returned quietly to their camp, space for repentance was granted its inhabitants. But when six days had passed and the walls of the city remained as strong as ever, they felt quite secure and hardened their heart. How then are we to account for the difference in Rahab? In this way, with them, It was simply the stirrings of conscience and the workings of their natural fears which soon subsided. But in her case, the power of the Holy Spirit had wrought within her. God had opened her heart, and consequently she attended unto the things which were spoken.
Acts 16.14. In other words, Rahab had been sovereignly quickened into newness of life, by which she was capacitated unto a saving knowledge of God Himself and the receiving His Word with meekness. This it was with the Thessalonian saints, whom the Apostle reminded, For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost. For Thessalonians 1 verse 5 It is only in such cases that a radical and lasting effect is produced. We must learn then to distinguish between three things, the divine gift of faith, the foundation provided for its support, and the assurance that issues for its resting upon that foundation. The gift of faith is imparted at regeneration, being one of the attributes of the new nature. All men have not faith, 2 Thessalonians 3.2, because all are not born again. The firm foundation which is provided for faith to rest upon is the sure word of God. By it alone is faith supported, instructed, and fed. The assurance which issues from faith's resting upon this foundation is that confidence and certainty which fills the heart when God's word is received implicitly into it. Thus it was with Rahab. Quickened by the Spirit, faith was planted within her soul. Hence, when the report reached her of God's wondrous works, she received it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God. First Thessalonians 2.13 And therefore did she say, I know that the Lord hath given you the land. Second, the effect of her faith. The faith of God's elect is a living, energetic principle which worketh by love. Galatians 5 and 6, and produces fruit to the glory of God. Herein it differs radically from that notional and inoperative faith of frothy professors, which goes no deeper than an intellectual assenting to certain doctrinal propositions and ends in fair but empty words. That faith, which is unaccompanied by an obedient walk and abounds not in good works, is dead, being alone. James 2.17 Different far was the faith of Rahab. Of her we read, Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way? James 2.25 This does not mean that her good works were the meritorious ground of her acceptance with God but that they were the evidence before men that a spiritual principle had been communicated to her, the fruits of which justified or vindicated her profession, demonstrating that she was a member of the household of faith. In receiving the spies with peace, she made it manifest that she had a heart for the people of God and was ready to do all in her power to help them. That clause of our text which we are now considering summarizes all that is recorded of her kindly conduct unto those two men in Joshua 2. 
She welcomed them into her home, engaged them in spiritual conversation, made provision for their safety, hid them from danger, and refused to betray them. We believe there is a latent reference to her kindness as well as to Abraham's in Hebrews 13 verses 1 to 3. For the word translated messengers in James 2.25 is the same as its rendered angels in Hebrews 13.2. Let brotherly love continue. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember them that are in bonds as bonds with them, and them which suffer adversity as being yourselves also in the body. Alas, that so many professing Christians today, instead of heeding this exhortation, are almost ready to rend each other to pieces over every difference of opinion. Third, the nature of her faith. It was a singular faith. The city of Jericho was about to be attacked. Within its walls there were hosts of people of all classes and characters, and they knew right well that if their city would be set upon and stormed, they would all be put to death. But yet, strange to say, there was not one of them who repented of sin, or who even asked for mercy, except this woman who had been a harlot. She and she alone was delivered, a solitary one amongst a multitude. Now, have you ever felt that it is a very hard thing to have a singular faith? It is the easiest thing in the world to believe as everybody else believes. But the difficulty is to believe a thing alone when no one else thinks as you think, to be the solitary champion of a righteous cause when the enemy mustereth his thousands to the battle. Now this was the faith of Rahab. She had not one who felt as she did, who could enter into her feelings and realize the value of her faith. She stood alone. Oh, it is a noble thing to be the lonely follower of despised truth. Charles Spurgeon stated, Rahab's faith was a sanctifying one. Did Rahab continue a harlot after she had faith? No, she did not. I do not believe she was a harlot at the time the men went to her house, though the name still stuck to her, as such ill names will. But I am sure she was not afterwards, for Solomon, the prince of Judah, married her. You cannot have faith and yet live in sin. To believe is to be holy. The two things go together. That faith is a dead faith, a corrupt faith, a rotten faith, which lives in sin that grace may abound. Rahab was a sanctified woman. Oh, that God might sanctify some that are here. Unquote. Hers was a self-denying faith. This is seen in her preferring the will of God before the safety of her country and sheltering these men who were strangers before the pleasing of her fellow citizens. But it appeared most conspicuously in the venturing of her own life rather than to betray the messengers of Joshua 
who were worshippers of the true God. Her action was fraught with the most dangerous consequences to her, but her fidelity to God made her scorn the threats of her citizens, the promiscuous events of war, and the burning of her city. Thus, by faith she, in effect, renounced all for God. When He calls us to do so, we must part with all that we hold near and dear in this world. Spiritual faith is best evidenced by acts of self-denying obedience. This was condensed from Thomas Manton. Fourth, the confession of her faith. This is recorded in Joshua 2, 9-11, which shows it was made at the first opening she had. It was quite a comprehensive one. She owned the wondrous works of the Lord, was assured he had given Canaan unto his people, and acknowledged him as the God of heaven and earth. Thereby she renounced all the idols of the heathen, glorified God with her lips, and illustrated the rule we have in Romans 10, verse 10, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Moreover, by placing the scholar cord in her window, she, as it were, publicly displayed her colors and made it known under whose banner she had enlisted. How her conduct puts to shame those who, after a long profession of the truth, are ready to tremble at the first approach of danger and deem it prudence to keep at a safe distance from those who are exposed to persecution. John Owen wrote, It is the nature of true, real, saving faith, immediately or at its first opportunity, to declare and protest itself in confession before men. Or confession is absolutely inseparable from faith, where men on some light and convictions do suppose themselves to have faith, yet through fear or shame, do not come up to the ways of expressing it in confession prescribed in the Scripture. Their religion is in vain. And therefore, our Lord Jesus Christ in the Gospel doth constantly lay the same weight on confession as on believing itself. Matthew 10, verse 33, Luke 9, 26. And the fearful, that is, those who fly from public confession in times of danger and persecution, shall be no less assuredly excluded from the heavenly Jerusalem than unbelievers themselves. Revelation 21, verse 8, unquote. Fifth, the breadth of her faith. Very blessed is it to note her further word to the spies, now, therefore, I pray you, swear unto me by the Lord, since I have showed you kindness, that ye will also show kindness unto my father's house, and give me a true token, and that ye will save alive my father, and my mother, and my brethren, and my sisters, and all that they have, and deliver our lives from death. Joshua 2, verses 12 and 13. Some contracted hearts, in which the very milk of human kindness seems to have congealed, 
Vadim Rahab's request highly presumptuous. Personally, we believe that her soul was so overflowing with gratitude unto the Lord for his saving such an abandoned wretch that her faith now perceived something of the infinitude of the divine mercy and believed that such a God would be willing to show grace unto the whole of her family. Nor was she disappointed. Oh, that the breadth of Rahab's faith may speak unto our hearts. Oh, that the blessed Holy Spirit may fill us with compassion for our unsaved relatives and friends and stir us up to wrestle with God in prayer on their behalf. It is right that we should desire God to show mercy unto those who are near and dear to us, not to do so would show we were lacking in natural affection. It only becomes wrong when we ignore God's sovereignty and dictate instead of supplicate. It is blessed to observe that he who hath said, According unto your faith be it unto you, and all things are possible unto him that believeth, responded to Rahab's faith and saved her entire household, though they, of course, only found deliverance by sheltering in the same house with her in which hung the scarlet cord. Only under the blood is their safety. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.stillwater.com swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D, M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle is adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, 
that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.